Yeah, I do the I do the same thing with doodles. Mm -hmm. the, the game I like is first takes mm -hmm. on anything. So mm -hmm. if I'm doodling, there's certain moves that I make that can always be a first take. Mm -hmm. What I haven't learned with the graphic arts is how to draw a goddamn flower. Sometimes you don't need to. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't need to, but then I think I want to. Right. So then, yeah. but that takes practice. Right. Then, then I have to learn some some things, you know. But uh, well, I have to say I, I can't believe I'm actually in the Mad Hatter studios. Yeah, yeah, you're recording at Mad Hatter. <laughs> well, that was my dream. When I was like 17 years old. <laughs> dream come true, except I'm not playing piano. Yeah, well, you got to do that some night uh, too. No, one day. You rolling? So you ready? <clears throat> okay. I'm Robin D.G. Kelly. And this is Errol Garner Uncovered. Who is Errol Garner to you? Errol Garner was one guy to me years ago, and he's quickly become another guy to me recently right. because he's he, it's it's a rediscovery actually mm -hmm. i'm blown away by his dynamic approach and the way he will instill a groove mm -hmm. and what he does with a groove uh just captured me right away hi i'm pete lockhart senior producer for octave music on this episode of uncovered we head to los angeles for a visit to Chick Corea's Mad Hatter Studios. Long before a pandemic trapped us all on a Zoom call, Robin sat with the pianist and living legend for a relaxed evening of music and conversation. Chick Corea is world-renowned for having truly open ears and was open with Robin from the jump about having overlooked Errol as a younger musician. But that's all changed after digging into Garner's 1961 album, Close Up and Swing. Here's host Robin D.G. Kelly. Chick Corea has redefined the piano trio. From his explosive debut LP recorded a half a century ago, now he sings, now he sobs to the various iterations of his acoustic band, to his recent release of his trilogy recordings with Christian McBride and Brian Blade. Like Garner, Korea's trios are spectacular because he has an orchestral approach to the piano and treats music making as a joyful experience in which the individual artist finds voice and communion. An NEA jazz master, downbeat hall of famer, 22-time Grammy winner, master pianist who really changed the direction of this music, and one of the most prolific and influential composers in jazz history. Chick Corea actually needs no introduction. So thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us talking about Eric Garner, especially given your insanely busy schedule. Um, but let's begin with one question, a question I ask all of our guests, and that is, who's Earl Garner to you? Well, before I answer that, I gotta say a brief thing about who Robin Kelly is to me. <laughs> <laughs> Because, uh, yeah, yeah, thank you for that, Robin. And, and uh, uh, I, I just find it a pleasure hanging out with you and, and, and chatting. And I, I know, I don't know everything that you've written, but I know enough to be uh, 
to be uh, a fan of you as a writer. Actually, no matter what you're writing, it's just that there's this there's this aesthetic uh, way that you have of communicating with the written word that goes beyond the content that uh, that I aspire to. I like to write every now and again. So anyway, th- thank you. It's, this is a pleasure. Talking yeah, well, with, I appreciate that very much. Talking so. with you as well as discussing my one of my heroes, Errol. Yeah, so who who is Errol Garner to you? Well, I can't answer that in one thing because now that I've listened closely to Close Up and Swing, the the record we're going to be talking mm-hmm. about, uh, Errol Garner was one guy to me years ago, and he's quickly become another guy to me recently right. because he's he it's it's a rediscovery actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I've been aware of Errol's playing uh, since I was young. He was one of the pianists, mm-hmm. definitely, uh, on the scene. But I think I was a bit of a, a bit of a purist, kind of cool guy, you know. Errol loves to smile and communicate to the audience and, mm-hmm. and uh, get his message and groove across, obviously. Right. And I kind of grew up in the late 50s, you know, 58, 59 right. on in the in the Miles Davis, John Coltrane, Thelonious Monk, cool school. So Errol sort of didn't fit that sort of mold. Right. So I, I didn't, I never studied him. Uh, but I, I always enjoyed his playing, but never studied right. him. But when I listened to Close Up and Swing, you know, all of those old uh, kind of uh, stiff uh barriers that I put on myself mm-hmm. uh, are gone, have been gone from my life for, for right. quite a while. So Errol Garner as a pianist and as an arranger and as a trio player and uh, just just as a improviser and a communicator, right. it's, it, it's a whole new guy. Right. So there's two Errol Garners. The real Errol Garner is the one I just discovered. Right. Let's go back. So, did you ever see him play? No, but uh, in, over the past couple of days, I've been uh, catching what I can of him on YouTube, mm-hmm. and uh, now I've got an idea of how his demeanor uh, and his stage presence and how he worked with his trio. And mm-hmm. it's just I'm uh, I'm I'm eating it up. It's it's like I'm I'm learning a whole new Errol thing now. Right. right. What's interesting about um. The release of not just Close Up and Swing, but the 12 LPs that um, the Octave Remastered series um, is releasing, is that those recordings really, in some ways, mark the first part of your own career. I mean, I think from 1961 to the mid-70s, this is, you know, you're emerging. Do you know if any of your um, contemporaries or colleagues, other pianists, ever talked about Earl? Um you know, did he ever come up, or was he just sort of like, just a different generation, a different iteration <clears throat> altogether? It's interesting that the that the years were the same, but the 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 paths were were uh, were really different. I tell you, the 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 biggest Errol Ghana fan that I met when I was young, uh, in high school, was my neighbor John, who uh, who 
who was who lived three doors down from us, and uh, he he was like uh, in fact I don't even know what John did for a living. I still I know his son now. I keep in touch with his son, but he 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 had a a day gig. I don't know what he did, but he was a nice guy, and he knew I was a, a jazz piano player, and he went. He every time I would see him, he would do nothing but rave about Errol Ghana, <laughs> and I, and I would think, oh, he, he, John's pretty square. He's, he's not. He's not talking about Winton and uh, Herbie. You know, right. he's talking about Errol Ghana. You know, so that that was an early uh, impression. But but I when he played when John uh, my neighbor played me, he used to play me at his house. I used to go over there. He used to play me the tracks that he likes, and mm-hmm. every time he'd put one on, I, I, you know, it would actually blow me away. But then I, I thought, no, that's not my thing. And right. you know. so it's more, more or less his um, stage presence and reputation than the music itself. Or was there something about the music that made it seem as though, well, it's not as his as hip as say Whitten Kelly or. Yeah, it was just a different style that mm-hmm. that uh, uh, like at, like at that time I was beginning to uh, I was I was beginning to ex- experiment with uh, the interaction of of a, a rhythm section, mm-hmm. how the bass player and drummer can also originate things, and you play together like a little chamber ensemble, like like Bill Evans opened the door for and. Uh, and and Errol was definitely a, a solo piano player, and the bass player and drummer followed him. Right. You know, so it wasn't it wasn't a, a thing that that attracted me. Right. Uh, at that time, but I gotta I gotta say, just just because of this project and wanting to 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 uh, work with you and and have the opportunity to revisit Errol, the 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 man is is blowing me away every time I hear him play. And and uh, what he can do uh, technically and with a groove, there's mm-hmm. as absolutely no one that I've heard that creates a groove like like Errol. Mm-hmm. And I'm uh, highly interested. Like I was saying, I'm going to have to transcribe some of his stuff and see if I can <laughs> see if I can duplicate that. That would be amazing. So Close Up and Swing was the second LP that Earl released on his own label on Octave Music, and this is 1961, he recorded it. It was released in December of 61, and the original recording had 10 tracks, which were drawn from over 60 recordings that he made in that summer, July, and August. Eight of the tunes were standards. Some very popular standards, some relatively obscure, going back to the teens and 20s. And then there are two Garner originals. 
Errol's leading his trio with the stalwart uh, rhythm section, Eddie Calhoun on bass, Kelly Martin on drums, and they're doing their thing. So before we get into the specific songs, what was your reaction listening to it, especially not having studied Earl in the same way? I, I went through a couple of different kind of emotions immediately. First one was, um, is, is I'm blown away by his dynamic approach. You know, I think if you took the bass and drums away, the groove would have been there anyway, right. because he, he he's orchestral when he plays. He's got the whole the whole thing going, and how flexible he is with the tempo as well. I noticed on a bunch of the tracks, especially if it's a medium or slower groove, as he builds the emotion of the track, and he'll come to a, to a point and then restart the groove again, it gets a little slower, mm -hmm. which deepens the, the groove, you know, and he's like all, all in command of that. So the first thing was, was like that, was my first shocking news that the guys just I could just picture whoever he plays to just wanting to dance. Right. I don't I don't see how you could sit there still right. listening to him play. But then the other the other emotion I got was that was one of a little bit of uh, embarrassment at the fact that I had neglected him and his depth for so many years. Right, right. I have to say this is a reaction I get from so many people because when Errol left Columbia Records and went independently with his manager, Martha Glazer, um, he was pretty much on his own. And though he was winning downbeat polls and that sort of thing, there's a way in which he slipped under the radar mm. you know, for some reason. And there are a lot of pianists who now are really growing to appreciate him. You know, when the cool school came into jazz, they began to negate the history and the entertainers right. and the communicators became a little bit uncool. They weren't hip anymore. And so, you know, uh, magazines like Downbeat and, I don't know, uh, other coverages would begin to take the, the new cool look at it. That might be one reason. And then he, I think he kind of developed his own audience, didn't he, right. as he traveled. like a Latin shovel. This, this particular recording, there's a number of songs on here. Some tunes go back from W.C. Handy's St. Louis Blues. The grooves are so deep. It's, it's like several different tunes. As the blues choruses build up, he, he heightens the emotion in mm -hmm. all these different points. Right. And the way he does it, one, one, I mean, the way I'm observing it, is that he builds something up, he comes to a point, and now he changes it up, and when he starts the new thing, it's at a slower tempo. Right. 
pulls you in and the groove just gets deeper and you still, the head, instead of moving one inch, it starts moving two inches. Right. <laughs> Kind of like how Elvin plays a Latin beat, mm -hmm. a little bit like that. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> this is killing right here. He's pulling that beat back. He phrases like a singer. Mm-hmm. Right. You can almost hear the lyrics. Mm -hmm. The, the arrangement, the way he mixes the two grooves. Right. Because the, the middle part, the, the blues part, is him just blowing the blues. Right. And I noticed this time, listening, that that he's phrasing each blues chorus. I, I bet you, you could write some lyrics to it. Like, right. It so, sounded, sounded like words. Right, yeah. And there are lyrics to St. Louis blues. There are some lyrics. Yeah. And it's interesting. Um, Opening up with that kind of Latin beat, you know, you you are like the master of what um, Jelly Roll Morton calls the Spanish tinge. Mm. Um, what did you hear when he did that? Well, I mean, it's just his own groove, and and like I said, at one point I noticed the way the drummer, how he was playing the ballad cymbal and what what he was doing, reminded me of how Elvin plays a Latin beat, mm. which is not Latin at all. Actually, it's it's a shuffle. I hear it as as a, I don't know what there was maybe another name that they gave to a dance like that, Is boogaloo. Or? Boogaloo, yeah, yeah, the boogaloo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it ain't a cha cha, right, right, and it ain't a mambo, yeah, and it you know, uh, but it grooving like hell, and, right, and. Uh, yeah, Spanish tinge is a is a good way to right. say it because I think that's what the jazz musicians took from the mm -hmm. from the Latino guys. Exactly, it's so funny because with Earl Garner in particular, there's a tendency, especially among critics, to say everything's a mambo because mambo is a term that um, Earl himself used. But unfortunately, what that does is it reduces so much oh, yeah. of music from the Spanish world, Latin world, into like a single kind of rhythmic characteristic, you know. Yeah, well, you can't, it always gets into generalities once you start to put names on describing music. It's it's hard. I mean, you do so great as a poet to be able to talk about music without stigmatizing it. Right. Do you know what I mean? But it's easy to stigmatize by using terms like that. Oh, it was a mumble. Right. What does that mean? Right. <laughs> I have no idea. Let's stay on this issue of the Latin tinge because this album has two originals by Garner and one of them is El Papa Grande or what I like oh, to call right. it just Big Papa.
I know that you had some some thoughts about this song and about the the rhythm. And I, I just I was really struck by I mean I was thinking about what you said about the previous song and how Errol has a way of slowing down the tempo. And in this case, it seems oh, yeah. like there's a kind of tug of war. Oh no, no, he didn't do that on this. Yeah. No, no. The, one, one, of, one of the things that I I notice about Latin bands and Latin dance bands, which is true of this track, mm-hmm. is they do the opposite of slow down. They push, push ahead to get more excitement. It, you, it makes you move more. Like a, as he built his solo up, it pushed. could put it in a music appreciation course to ask the listener to mm-hmm. notice how the use of tempo, how fast the song is moving, and how the tempo changes affect the emotion of the tune, how that's a technique of, of creating emotion. And that's how he does it. But the more I'm listening to his Latin-tinged rhythms, the more I realize that in the 60s, there was Birdland and the Palladium. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Latin guys would go on their breaks down to Birdland, and the, and the jazz guys, at least I was one of them, would go up to the Palladium on their breaks and, and check out uh, Eddie Palmieri and Tito Puente and Machito and right. Ray Barreto. And, yeah, I remember you telling some really great stories about that. Yeah, about yeah. So, so I mean, I'm, it, it's obvious that, that Errol, I, I'd be interested to know who he listened to or who... Who who we liked as a as a Latin player, you know. But then when he when he took those rhythms into into his old world, he does it beautifully. Not like an intellectual, like not you know. I I mean, I wish I could talk to Errol right now and say, mm-hmm. see if he ever used the word clave, for instance, mm-hmm. which I, he maybe never did. I don't think he was interested that much about what you called rhythms. He just heard it. And uh, I mean, the little bit I I, uh, I I read about him on online, which is kind of spotty, was that he was a precocious kid mm-hmm. and uh, never learned to read music and could duplicate anything that he heard right. when he went home and played it. You know, so someone with a, a skill, an ability like that to listen and understand would not be interested in uh, whether it's called a clave or a mambo or a, right. or a whatever. So he'd maybe listen to whoever he listened to, take it into his own world, and it sounds like the blues with Latin tinge. Right. Yeah, I know it's interesting because he, he later would add a conga player to his band. Yeah. He liked that rhythm. He liked that sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something else he said I thought was really <laughs> profound, if he took the rhythm section out, he still would be swinging... And would he's because he's playing in rhythm as well. He's playing everything. He's playing everything and uh, with with both hands and and uh, he he orchestrates with with the uh, like like that point when he switched from uh, from a big full full handed right hand right. sounding like an orchestra and he brought the dynamic way down and he switched to a single line on mm-hmm. the on the right hand and he got he got real quiet but not less swinging. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah.
exactly. So let's let's move to a couple other tunes here. There's some beautiful ballads. Okay, that's my silent love. Let's let's begin with that. ballad and and it's got a different emotion but it doesn't swing any less mm-hmm. it swings different it swings smooth but it swings deep that mm-hmm. that's the that's the whole that's that's his whole that's his whole thing and then he'll he'll call on the soloist and go to a single line Several times during during that rendition, two, three different times where he turned the corner, finished the bridge, go into the next part, he did that same thing, pulling that tempo back. Right. And and it draws you in. It's, right. it's just beautiful. that rolling right hand mm-hmm. as an orchestral effect. Yeah. He came up when there were there were good pianos available, but I bet I bet he played on his share of not well tuned mm-hmm. and good pianos. And I bet he played coming up in a lot of situations where there was very little or no PA, no microphones and you know, so he developed a way of making his sound impinge. Right. And you know, but he does on that track you could tell he's got a real good command of the uh, the dynamics of the piano. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's also striking. I mean, it's, it's, it's classic Earl Garner to play that four in the beat mm-hmm. left hand. Even with a ballad, you would think, oh, it's kind of hammer-like, but it's not. It's no, something very beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that groove. It makes you want to dance to that that tempo. Mm-hmm. It does. Well, since we're on ballads, let's go to um, No More Shadows, the song was 
originally called Shadows, and then Edward Heyman put some lyrics to it and became No More Shadows. And of course, he's very famous for Body and Soul. Oh, right. The great, great lyricist. It's a really beautiful song, and Garner's originals, I mean, he's known for ballads, you know, I mean, as his original tunes, that's the thing that he's he's famous for, um, Misty, Solitaire, those songs. So let's listen to No More Shadows. That's really gorgeous. So that's Errol's song. That's his original, yeah. Misty is his song, too. That's his song, too. That, I, I hadn't had that thought for so many years. Mm-hmm. Misty became such a mm-hmm. such a, a universal standard. Right. I didn't realize, uh, didn't think about the fact that Errol wrote that. In Solitaire, you say? Solitaire, yeah. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he's a singer. Errol is a singer mm-hmm. on the piano. Right. It's interesting how different he uses the piano to sing than, say, Bill Evans. Mm-hmm. Because Bill's a singer, too. Right, right. Just completely different different approach, different way of, uh, of, of using the instrument. And uh, a lot of how Errol uses change and dynamics on the piano is the way a marimba operates. Because mm-hmm. he's repeating notes rather than sustaining them. Right, right. Yeah, like, because you can put the sustain pedal down, hit a single note, and it'll ring. Bing! But instead of doing that with a marimba, you can't do that. It's bing! In order to get a, a sustain note on the marimba, you're going to ding 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 Right. Which is a percussion instrument. It's how he uses the, the piano a lot to sustain and to get an orchestral effect. Yeah, I, I, that's the first time I've ever heard that. that. That makes a lot of sense.
Yeah, it's a, it's orchestral. He's yeah. he's got he's got this orchestral approach to his arrangements, which make it interesting. The way to change up the the effect and the emotion and tell mm-hmm. a story. Right, right. The one thing I have heard is that sometimes the right hand, sometimes his runs are harp like, very much like a harp. Yeah, yeah. You know, and both No More Shadows and um, My Silent Love have those harp like moments, mm-hmm. um, especially in the introduction. He picks up some very popular ballads. He records All of Me, You Do Something to Me, you know, Cole Porter, Gerald Marks, and Seymour Simons. And he also does this beautiful, amazing version of The Best Things in Life Are Free. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's terrific. I, I bet he improvises those intros. Oh, those intros are amazing. Yeah. That two-beat thing they have going, that... that uh, uh, Paul Chambers and, and Philly Joe Jones do that well too. Mm-hmm. They must listen to this to this group. I'm sure. They must have and Ahmad's band did that two step. I don't know what you call it. That two step yeah. groove is this trio owns that rhythm. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. the introductions, I mean, Earl was famous for introductions that have sometimes no relationship at all to the melody, just comes up with something. And his rhythm section never knows where he's going. Yes, they, yes. He's not like he's calling the tune. Yeah, <laughs> endings too. Right. Endings too. You could hear that on that tune, definitely that was no, that was no uh, uh, arranged ending. Right. He decided, no, this is the last chorus, and he took a little turn around, went down, got to that last chord sound, and then just kind of took it down. You could hear the see Eddie Calhoun just like you know following him, who's great at doing that. Man, right. wow, he caught everything that that Errol did. Yeah, they played together a long time. listening uh, on these uh, headphones mm-hmm. 
and this particular recording, I'm finally hearing the drums. Mm. The way this recording was done actually kind of kind of works because he mm. has uh, Calhoun and okay. Kelly on, on the right side mm -hmm. and the piano kind of on the left, offset, kind of like they play, kind of mm. like they play together. What's great about this record is that it includes an 11th song that's Octave 103, which was not on the original, it's actually never been released, so it's previously unreleased. So this is Errol's song. This is Errol's original song, Octave 103. Wow, that's hip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's Errol's modal stuff. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. gorgeous. Kind of a minor, I mean, minor key. It reminds me a little bit of um, that old song, Topsy. Yeah. When it started, he, he, he used this voicing on the piano that, and these bass notes that took the tonality somewhere else. Could have been a lot mm -hmm. of different things. Would you would you play the intro again for me? You could transcribe just the intro and turn that into a tune. Right. In fact, I thought that was the tune. I thought, wow, that's interesting. He's writing some modern music there. <laughs> and then and then it's actually just a throwdown intro. Right. So I would have I would have liked to hear what Errol would have done solo piano, mm -hmm. which is improvising. Right. Just improvising tunes, making them up as he goes along. Like not just the not just the intro, but just keep going. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, and those intros are like little compositions. They're they're great improvisations, mm -hmm. and they're definitely first thoughts. They're right. like throw-offs, you know. And then, uh, but uh, that's a cool tune. Mm -hmm. That's a cool tune. I'm gonna transcribe that one. He has a whole. He has a ton of original music that has never been released. And thanks to the Earl Garner Project, um, the Octave Remaster series, I think it's gonna open up a whole new vista. To understand not just Errol's music, but that whole era. You know? Yeah, 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 um, yeah. That's wonderful. I mean, I know from my own experience, 
and and watching my friends uh, uh, who who write and make music that because of our genre or, or the kind of music we play that's not pop music and so you you uh, you have a certain economy to work with mm-hmm. that uh, if you're creative like we are all of us you keep on building up uh, repertoire and you keep up and you keep on building up maybe recordings right you like to record because you do something and even though it's not going to be for a release like a worldwide release or something like that you you don't want that particular period or program that you've now developed over so long to just go away so you right. record it you know you however and the recordings build up and they never get out there yeah yeah you know and uh, and and so this is this is wonderful that yeah. we're, we're going to discover errol's exactly stuff what's important too you know you mentioned about errol and, play, and reading music he definitely made a choice not to not to read um and that also meant that a lot of his repertoire as original music is documented through recordings. Yeah. So you go into the studio, record a tune, mm-hmm. wouldn't release it, but it's there. So we're discovering that Earl Garner is not just an incredible pianist and stylist, band leader, but he was a composer. Yeah. Any other last thoughts about stuff? And also, you're welcome to, if you're so inspired, to play something. You know. Oh yeah, what should I play? After that, I can't follow Errol. <laughs> yeah. Trying to think if I'm going to play something, the thing not to do is try to play something Errol just played. Right. <laughs> so uh, first of all, I'm going to study his some of his phrasings and his groove. Mm-hmm. Now that'll be a study thing. But another aspect of listening to these tracks that inspired me was his one-off throwdowns on intros. Mm-hmm. So right. so I thought I'd play a little bit of some throwdown. Oh, that's great. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> just you know, I'm 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 going to just go to the piano and not think about it and put my hands on the piano and see what happens.
Mm-hmm. Beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's um, it really did for me at least invoke the spirit of Earl Garner, uh, whose introductions alone uh, were just amazing works of art. Yeah, so, yeah. But it's been a real pleasure talking to you about Earl. Um, I look forward to your own seeing your own journey develop both in your music and also in your explorations of, of Earl Garner. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Thanks, Robin. Yeah. It's always, always a pleasure, man. Always a Thank pleasure you. being with you and exchanging ideas and especially getting to discover Errol again. Wow. wow. Very, very nice. I'm looking forward to more. Yes, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Jim. All right, man. Errol Garner Uncovered is a production of Octave Music. Our show is produced by Alex Arif and myself, Pete Lockhart. Our executive producer is Susan Rosenberg. This episode's conversation was recorded at Mad Hatter Studios in Los Angeles, thanks to Max Sherzhevsky. You can find the newly expanded and remastered edition of Close Up and Swing anywhere you listen to music, and get more info on our whole series at errolgarner.com. Special thanks to our friends at Mac Avenue Music Group and Downtown Music Publishing. And if you're enjoying the show, kindly tell a friend about it or just rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you're new, be sure to subscribe so our next episode pops into your feed. It features Dr. Kelly sitting down with Jason Moran discussing Garner's 1963 album, One World Concert.